welcome to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. If you're a resident of Pekin, especially an older one, you no doubt know about the services provided through the Pekin Township Office. They're still operating, but just exactly where that can happen was cast into doubt this week when the west wall of their building near 4th and Elizabeth Streets started to collapse, leaning on the side of a next-door law office. And that was just Wednesday. As crews were working to demolish part of the wall in order to save a garage below on Thursday, the south wall of that same building started to crumble, leaving the city's downtown without power for the better part of 12 hours as the wall crashed onto power lines. The situation is still being dealt with, but on Thursday, prior to the south wall collapse, I talked with Shannon Saul, the Pekin Township Supervisor. We have some work going on in front of our building and two contractors found out and they contacted the county and two county employees, they came in. I was closing the doors at 3 p.m. and they said, Shannon, do you know what's happening on the west side of your building? And I'm like, no, what is it? And so we walked and I said, oh my goodness, the side of the wall was buckling. So I thought, oh, we need to get this taken care of. So of course we contacted city of Pekin and then we contacted um, the other individuals that we had to to expedite the emergency partial demolition. So what was going through your mind when you, when you, when you discovered all this? Well, I was pretty appalled because I thought, oh no, what's going to happen? Because we serve the community. We have our senior meals. We have our summer lunch, food pantry. We also do general assistance and emergency assistance. So I thought, well, we have to get up and running because we have to serve the Pekin community. And are you still able to do that at this point? We are. However, we're not able to go into the building right now. So actually I had a general assistance appointment over the phone this morning at 10 a.m. So everything's fine, business as usual. And I also have had um, our sweets and breads out of my van. So I've had several people come and get their bread and sweets like they do every morning. So the thought at first yesterday was that that this all had to come down and then it came up and maybe that some of this can be salvaged. Um, although the more I look at the side of this building, the more terrified I can see where you would become. So um, what do you know about that at this point? The only thing that I know, uh, Will, is that they're going to take three to four feet from the 418 side. We have two addresses, 420 and 418. The 420 side has our car storage, our community room, and our offices. That's not going to be touched. The 418 side is our basically our garage, and what I had upstairs was just some old desk, cleaning supplies. So nothing is going to be hurt as far as that goes. So. And, that, and this is mostly stuff that you didn't necessarily need? Correct. They, it was all old desk from probably 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and nevertheless, this has got to be still a bit nerve-wracking, even though folks are still pretty confident that the side of the building you mostly use is going to be all right. Correct. It is. I know there's been several talk and speculation as far as Facebook land goes. However, you know, I'm here to tell you that we're going to be okay. We're going to be up and running. It is a little hiccup, a bump in the road. However, we will conquer and we will still serve the Pekin community.
do you have to move to another temporary quarters or anything to do that or what's kind of the plan there at this point? Not as of right now, Will. What we're going to do is I'm just going to be outside here to take uh, phone calls uh, through my cell phone and to make sure that the Pekin community is still served. How long do you think you'll be out or have to make alternate plans here? Yes, Will. Probably uh, the contractor had indicated that I probably will be out for about a week. So I would say we should be up and running in the middle of next week. That's as of right now. I am still here, so, you know, the Pekin community is very important to me and to serve them. So Talk about that, that importance. Have you heard from anybody that was kind of nervous that you weren't going to be able to operate? Or? Actually, I haven't. I had a couple of my car storage individuals. They came. I've been here since 6 a.m., uh, one of the gentlemen came and he said, Shannon, how's my car? And I said, it's perfectly fine. So we're going to do okay. I, I wondered because just even in the last, you know, 20 minutes or so, especially mm -hmm. when I saw that west wall start to break apart mm -hmm. as they were tearing it apart, I went, oh no, this is going to end up bad. But, um, you, you've been watching this, so, so I imagine you're, you're still pretty comfortable with how things are going here. I am. I'm very confident in what they're doing and I think it's going to be just fine. What else do you what else do you do in this building this, okay. aside, from, aside from what you have been doing? Yes, yeah, so what our purpose is is we are a township and so we serve the Pekin community residents and I also have North Pekin, Market Heights and a little bit of Creve Core residents. So basically they come in, we help for general assistance, and emergency assistance. We also have all of our programs, senior programs. We have summer lunch, senior meals, senior activities. I'm going to actually start having uh, classes for the seniors, crocheting, knitting, computer classes. So we're really looking forward to having the community come into our community room. Sounds like recently then you've really kind of identified some needs in the community that maybe you weren't working with before. Yes, we have always been here. We're like a hidden gem, so not a lot of people know who we are, but we are here to serve the community. And so I hope that a lot of people, once we get up and rolling here, they will come in and see what we're all about. I just wanted to tell everyone that if you need to contact me, please do. My name's Shannon Saul, and I'm the supervisor. My number's 309-202-7803. Pekin Township Supervisor Shannon Saul. We'll keep you posted on what happens in downtown Pekin with the potential demolition of a longtime building that at one point was used as a car dealership. A follow-up now to some of the discussion we had on last week's program regarding violence in the city of Peoria. Last week, as you may recall, there were two days where there were a number of shootings. One Wednesday night where six people were injured in what was considered a mass shooting in South Peoria. And then the next day, two shootings where two people were killed, possibly one shooting being in retaliation of another. So if you wondered what's happened with Peoria police since then, Peoria Police Chief Eric Echevarria took to social media Thursday to give an answer. Hello, Peoria. Let me reintroduce myself. My name is Erica Chivaria, and I'm your police chief. Since last week, we have continued to work hard with our state, local, and federal partners to combat the violence in our city. You may be asking, well, what has happened? Well, we have made numerous arrests. We have seized numerous firearms. We have made numerous traffic stops. We have written numerous citations. We won't stop, and we can't stop doing that 
and we'll continue to work hard to make Peoria safe for everyone. If you're planning to commit violence in our city, if you're even thinking about committing violence in our city, I gave you three options. Let me repeat those for you. Don't do it. Get out of this city or go to jail. Many of you have seen social media posts from last week where our SWAT team did a search warrant. I will reassure all of you that we are not afraid to use every available tool and resource that we have. And this Bearcat and our SWAT team is one of them. As we come into this weekend, we want everybody to have a great weekend, a great and safe weekend. However, if you want to disturb that for the great people of Peoria, we may be knocking at your door. Have a great weekend. Peoria Police Chief Eric Echeverria, we later found out that the use of the SWAT team came Thursday morning in Peoria when two women were arrested on drug and weapons charges after a search of their home turned up both. More Week in Review coming up. The Peoria Fire Department will soon begin to utilize a new initiative to help firefighting in the city. It's being done through a program from a group called Vision 2020, and it's called a Community Risk Reduction Program. What does that mean? Peoria Fire Chief Sean Solberger and Fire Department Prevention Chief Nate Rice talked about it with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. The best example that I can give you in regards to community risk reduction is our uh, free smoke detector install program. Like that is one thing that I know that the general public sees and feels and understands the most. So when we think of reducing risk, to the citizens, you know, to the community. We try to find those areas where we can impact them the most. And so when we talk about smoke detectors, that is the single most important resource that you have in alerting someone to yeah. safety. And uh, the last time you were on, I realized I'm about five smoke detectors short. Because <laughs> yeah, because you, you guys laid <laughs> something on us that we like to have one. I know yeah. a place where you can get some. <laughs> you have one. And how, what is the rule about uh, Nate? Every, every room, right? Yeah. So. Um, every every level of your um, of your house and uh, including your basement and then every sleeping room you have so every okay. bedroom and here's the part that the chief told us about uh, you'll put them in correct absolutely I, mean, I, I, I felt like this is a trick Danny this is some kind of a trick so how do I do that. Yeah, so there's several different ways that you can go about this. You can call us down at Central House at 494-8700, or you can go on to the PeoriaGov.org and then click on the fire department, and that program is on there. Oh, Nate, do I have to clean the house before you come? Uh, No, absolutely not. Okay, good, good, because that's not (laughs) happening. Uh, But uh, to to expound then on that, that that makes me uh, better understand what this uh, – 2020 thing. So I'll try not to bore you with the brief history. So um, Division Chief Nate Rice, and I'm not saying it just because he's here, he does an incredibly good job with running the Fire Prevention Division. And part of that is CRR, uh, public safety, uh, fire prevention, just the public education of it all. Um, He's been in great educational forums here lately, and he came to me and said, hey, there's this uh, CRR, Community Risk Reduction, Vision 2020, gave me a brief synopsis. It's an application process. And I said, yeah, go for it. And he was just like, well, it's an extreme long shot, us actually getting this. And I said, well, no harm, no foul. Right. And 
here we are today. So, so you got it, right? We did. Congratulations. We, yeah, thank First you. We were, we were selected out of um, over 100 departments across the nation. And what does it mean? Is it an influx of resources and money and, and, and so, materials? Absolutely. So there's going to be a group of experts on the national level um, in fire prevention and community risk reduction overall um, who are experts in data analysis and um, in, in public education and, and everything that that deals with community risk reduction. Um, and they're going to look at all of our data, um, and they're for five years. They're going to look at our data, and they're going to say, "Hey, these are the, these are where we see things from your data." And then they're going to give us some training um, in some new and innovative community risk reduction methods that we can do. Um, they're going to say, "Hey, here's some things that you're doing, and you're doing really good." Um, but here's some things you could do better, and here's some maybe new things that you could look at doing too. So your job is so interesting to me because you depend on all of us. Your 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 success is based on me as a citizen buying in Absolutely. and getting a smoke detector or mm -hmm. not doing something dumb with my Christmas tree and all, well, all yeah, the things yeah, that happen. Right. That brings up a great question: How many fires do you show up at and put out and go? Well, this could have been prevented. I mean, just rarely does Is there a lightning, number on that? Rarely lightning yeah, comes I, out of the sky. Right? Uh, 99999 <laughs> no, yeah, no, I mean, that's true, right? It, it's, it's human absolutely. actions that cause most fire. Absolutely. You know, and one of them, a long time ago, Chief, Chief Russell, Ernie Russell, the later Ernie Russell, sure. said it, it's something as simple. People actually down in the basement will hang on hangers, clothes, on an electrical wire, mm -hmm. and eventually that frays, and that causes the yeah. fire. Yeah. Cooking fires, actually, across the nation in Peoria is no different. Uh, cooking fires count for over 50% of, of fires. So un you know, things as simple as unattended cooking and um, things of that nature that, that we just, it, it's, a, it's a huge problem, and, and well, we need to address it. So, so okay, how do you adjust your fire, your smoke alarm, so it doesn't go off every time you're cooking? <laughs> Be a better cook. Be a better cook, is <laughs> what the chief says. Yeah. So I want to I talk about that for a second, too, though, expound on, on cooking fires. So that is, uh, um, I, I don't know how you will have resources to help me not do that. So explain that to me. So it's it's really in the world of public education. And, okay. and we have to stress the, to the citizens how important it is not to put something on your stove, turn on the heat, and then walk away. Um, and, 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 you know, um, one of our, uh, one of our inspectors, uh, Charlie Perrin, he does a great job presenting to the public. Um, and he, his, he has a great idea that he always says, as soon as you turn that stove on, put a spoon in your hand and walk around with that spoon. Why, why am I going to walk around with a spoon? Well, when you go, hey, why do I have a spoon? Oh, I know why I have a spoon in my hand. <laughs> but, because but, my stovetop's well, on. Hey, Dan, right? by the way, when yeah. I come to work tomorrow with a spoon in my hand, <laughs> tell me to go home real fast. <laughs> well, and, and, and I don't want him to get into estimate of this, but sometimes alcohol is involved when mm -hmm. people fall sure, asleep. Absolutely. But uh, uh, this is interesting because I don't think a lot of people know that in certain when you react certain fires, water is not your best solution. There are other things. When you got a grease fire, how do you deal with that? Uh, absolutely. No, you, I mean, if you have a grease fire, the very first thing to do is turn the heat off. Right. Um, put and, the spoon and, down. And put the spoon down. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Turn the heat off. Um, and then, you know, it can be as simple as placing a lid on top of the pot. Um, if, if it's contained still within the pot, you can put a lid on the pot. 
Um, I, in our house, we have a, a thing of flour that sits beside the stove. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and I. But here's the thing too: is only do that if you're comfortable. Because as soon as you get too brave, that's when problems start to happen, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so call if it's any. You know, if there's any doubt that it's too big of a fire or too too out of control. Um, get out. Call nine one one. How does Vision twenty twenty then going to uh, um, appear to us, Chief? I'll, I'll ask yeah. You. So how this how, is how will go, we see it as the public? Yeah. So I think it's uh, in the month of October. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This group is going to come in and sit down with uh, Chief Rice and I and, and the rest of our team and go over this data analysis on what would be the most impactful projects that we could consider. Okay. Um, so that's step one. Step two is how do we implement that? Um, how do we go through securing funds? All these things. There are such a, a crazy amount of work and resources that are going to be on this. I bring up the smoke detector program because that just gives us an example. Well, and it's one that I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it goes much deeper than that. And so we were reminded of that, you know, as we were going through this process is like there's a call that we go on almost every single day. It's a lift assist. So you could have a, an elderly person who falls, sure. may not even be injured, but they need to be picked up. Right. Um, there's a risk to the community. There's a risk to the fire department. You know, How do you uh, analyze that data? Oh, how do you okay. say, I'm responding to this call X amount of times a year over the course of five years, and how do I reduce that risk to that elderly person, and then which positively impacts the fire department as well because they're not having to respond to that call. Right, because I would imagine there's a risk to firefighters uh, of the actual lifting of a person. You get Correct. to throw a back out, all those kind of things. Yeah, so that's where we yeah. were kind of schooled a little bit. Like, we're so focused on fire, um, probably by nature of our job. Yeah, yeah, right, um, right. But there's so many different ways that you can impact your community and reduce that risk. Um, a lot of it starts with education, yeah. um, and that requires manpower. And so we're extremely proud of our firefighters and then getting them out into the public. So whatever this project ends up being, um, I don't think that we could be any more excited. So I know Chief Rice sent me some information last night. I don't know if you want to expand on that. Yeah, so um, a part of this project is um, it, so it's no cost. This project is no cost to the fire department. Nice. Um, and it, it's basically grant funded through this Vision 2020 project um, on a national level. And Vision 2020 is a collaboration of about 20 different national organizations, including, you know, NFPA, um, which is the National Fire Protection Association, um, and the, so many. There's a ton of organizations that are involved in it. Right. And, but um, we just found out last night that part of that grant money is going to be 500 smoke detectors. Oh, nice. That's be well, that's a big impact. Ha. That's, that's be, huge. And, and, that's huge. Quick, and before, five of them are going to your house. <laughs> yeah. Before we run out of time, though, what, what is the uh, relationship? Because there's a lot of people who don't want police fire in their homes. Mm-hmm. How do you break down that barrier, communicate that, look, we'll come in and put them in ourselves and make sure you're safe this is one of the biggest things you can do to protect are you getting better relationships with well, these communities yeah we'll put it to you this way everybody loves firefighters yeah okay no, I'm, yeah, kidding. Does. I'm kidding dan, um, dan we all knew that Come yeah, on. yeah so it, it in, in we do laugh about that our paths are probably not as uh, um, bumpy as it is being a police officer, Correct. but we do have challenges as well. So I think the most important part of it is is I feel like we have pretty decent customer service. We communicate pretty well. 
Uh, we explain the reason why we're trying to do X project um, so that the community has a better understanding of it all. Peoria Fire Chief Sean Solberger and Fire Prevention Bureau Chief Nate Rice talking with WMBD's Greg and Dan. More Week in Review coming up. Students in the Illini Bluffs School District will take part in an emergency drill later this month that parents are also being asked to take part in. WMBD's T.J. Carson talked about it with Illini Bluffs School District Superintendent Roger Alvey. We are uh, doing a, what's called a reunification drill. It's a drill that's not required, uh, unlike other drills that we are required to do, like fire drills, lockdown drills, and so forth. Um, the last time we did one was five years ago, and then COVID kind of interrupted things. But it essentially is a drill in which we practice reuniting our students with their guardians uh, at an off-site location. Uh, in the instance of this drill, it's a predetermined location, two churches in town, uh, one of which is used for the younger students, our elementary students, and the other church, which is used for our middle school and, and high school students. And the reason that we do it is there could be a thousand different reasons why schools would have to evacuate, and it happens all the time. All you have to do is look at the news. It could be a broken gas line. It could be a weather-related event. Uh, and then, of course, more serious issues, which make national headlines. And we want to make absolutely sure that our parents and our students and our employees know what the process will be to reunite uh, those very stakeholder groups in a very chaotic and stressful circumstance. Hoping that we never have to go through it, but want to be prepared in the event that we have to. How will the drill play out that day, if you can tell uh, us about it? Sure. So we'll, we'll start in the afternoon uh, after lunches are over. We'll have a fire drill, and once we are in our rally points for the fire drill, word will be given to our employees to escort the students down to the two churches in town. Um, most of our students will walk. Our youngest of students will be transported because of their tiny little legs. And once they are escorted to those locations, word will go out to the parents that the school has been evacuated. Please come to our reunification sites to reunite with your children. And what people will see when they get there is, and there will be a tons of communication that happens, of course, in advance of the event with our parents, but uh, traffic flow map has already been created. Um, students will be in their respective churches. We'll have greeters out on the street and traffic control out on the street. We're coordinating things with Peoria County Police or local police, first responders, emergency management people. Something new that we're doing this time is bringing in incident command trailers. Uh, the Salvation Army is coming with their trailer that um, people would normally see in the event uh, that something were to happen and we had to reunite. Uh, they'll be providing water and, and snacks. Um, Communications trailers, um, drones will be used through uh, Western Illinois University and Fulton County Emergency Management. And so our parents who will drive to those sites will park and get out of their cars, be greeted on the street. They'll fill out paperwork. Uh, that paperwork is given to a check-in table, uh, a runner inside the church. We goes in and finds the child 
parent goes to a secondary door, a reunification door, and the child is reunited with that emergency contact at that secondary door. And our main goal uh, as a school is the chain of custody. Uh, again, a stressful, chaotic event. We want to make sure that we're giving children only to those that they should be given to. And in, as you can imagine, in a real-world circumstance, it would be complete chaos. And uh, so the entire drill we're hoping should take about an hour and a half from beginning to end. That's about what it took last time. And hopefully we'll have good participation from our parents. So it sounds like there's the plan to get the students to the school. A, a quick question. How far away are the churches from the schools that you're sending the students to to be uh, reunited with uh, parents? So it, the churches are approximately seven blocks away from the school. And we're in the process of coming up with secondary and maybe even tertiary reunification sites. And a lot of that will be dependent upon in an actual event. Uh, law enforcement would determine where our reunification site would be. And so you have to imagine in a small town, if for some reason we can't make it to the churches, maybe the churches are damaged as a result of, a, say, a tornado, or maybe there's down power lines, then it's important for schools to have a secondary site that uh, they could access and perform the same procedure. And that's really what we're getting at. No matter where we go, it'll be the same procedure, and we want our parents and our employees and our students to better understand exactly how that will be done. Now, we know the ways you'll get the students to the reunification points. Uh, how will the parents be notified that they need to go pick up their children because of an emergency situation? Will that be practiced in this drill as well? Sure. Yeah, there's, uh, the communication is probably the most important part of any organization and certainly the most important part of, of this drill. Um, there's communication that occurs weeks in advance, but in terms of the actual drill itself, when the time comes, we will use our normal channels, which will involve social media, that will involve our website, that will involve emails, that will involve text messages. Uh, schools typically have multiple methods with, with which they can communicate with, with parents. Um, and we will be communicating with them throughout the event. So the first message would be, we've evacuated the school, this is a drill, uh, please come to the reunification sites to reunite with your children. The uh, second message at some point um, would be uh, probably a secondary reminder, if you didn't get the first message, please come and reunite. Um, We'll be communicating throughout the drill, depending on circumstances. In an actual event, you have to keep in mind, we would get directives and, and the folks like you, the press would be involved, and we would have to uh, utilize media as well to, to get messages out, depending on circumstances and what has occurred. You mentioned some of the agencies uh, earlier. Uh, how many agencies will be involved in this drill in total and which ones? Wow, uh, I don't have a total, um, but obviously the big thanks to the pastors of the two churches in town. Those would be one agency, the Village of Glassford, uh, the Peoria County Police, the Glassford Police, Timber Hollis Fire Department, um, Illinois School and Campus Safety Center through Western Illinois University, the Fulton County Emergency Management, Salvation Army, 
uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, but what is that? It's probably 10 different agencies involved. Uh, and it, it it's rare, quite honestly, that a district actually practices a full-scale exercise. A lot of districts might have a plan, a reunification plan, and practice it with their employees only, um, but they don't ever practice it with the actual parents, or rarely does that happen. Now, the next phase of this moving forward um, is something I want to pursue on a countywide basis, and that's the idea of mutual aid. You can imagine the stress that our own employees are under. Most of our employees have children within our school, and even though they've been assigned roles, whether that's a greeter or a checker or a runner or traffic control, we know that some of them aren't going to be able to perform under stress because they're concerned about their own children, and that would be uh, typical of any school. And so the idea of mutual aid would be to coordinate agreements with contiguous districts or even non-contiguous districts, train administrators from those districts, and establish agreements where if there's an event, our districts would be called upon to help out either through the use of personnel uh, in those assigned roles or through resources such as, for example, let's say we couldn't use our buses for whatever reason. Uh, we could rely on other districts to utilize their buses as an example. So that's the next phase of this. Uh, I feel like we're, we're progressive um, as a district and certainly progressive in the region and want to do what's best overall for the safety of our children. Illini Bluffs School Superintendent Roger Alvey talking with WMBD's T.J. Carson. More Week in Review coming up. Officials in Tazewell County are trying again to do something that hasn't had much past success. Tazewell County Clerk John Ackerman is trying to get petitions signed that would allow for a question to be placed on next March's primary election ballot that would allow for the installation of a monument on county courthouse grounds honoring the county's three Medal of Honor recipients. There are a number of other monuments already on the courthouse grounds. You can find out about the recipients of the Medal of Honor themselves on WMBDRadio.com. But about the monument and how he wants county residents to help, here is John Ackerman. Today we're here to announce the beginning of a petition drive for the Tazewell County Medal of Honor uh, Monument. Tazewell County, in its history, has been blessed to have three recipients of the Medal of Honor. You will remember earlier this week a gentleman received uh, was awarded the Medal of Honor uh, in Washington, D.C., so... I know the press release says there have only been 3,525, now there's 3,526. But if you think of our nation's military history dating all the way back to the Civil War, that shows you just how elite this uh, and how prestigious this award is. It is meant for, it is our nation's highest military award, and it's meant for extraordinary valor and bravery above and beyond the call of duty. So for Tazewell County to have in our entire nation's history three of those individuals is something that we should be very proud of, extraordinarily proud of, and that we should memorialize and memory uh, show our children just how proud individuals around here were of these individuals. 160 years ago, the Battle of Vicksburg is where these three individuals uh, were their actions that, for which they were awarded the Medal of Honor. Um, so this effort is long overdue, and we hope 
that by March of next year, we can bring to conclusion the effort and actually start construction of this new memorial. What starts today is a petition drive. The state statute calls for the gathering of 200 signatures uh, by citizens within the county. Any registered voter can pass the petition. Any registered voter can sign the petition to support the construction of this memorial. If we obtain the 200 signatures by November the 20th, then it will be turned into the county clerk's office and certified by the Tazewell County Board. Once that is completed, it will appear then on the March primary ballot as a question for the voters. And the ballot question is, proposition for the erection of a monument in honor of soldiers and sailors of Tazewell County. If that ballot initiative passes then a simple majority, so 50% plus one vote in support of constructing a memorial, then the memorial would be constructed within one year here on the grounds of the Tazewell County Courthouse. What we are proposing is an eight foot tall obelisk that would, the memorial you see behind me is seven foot tall. This one would be just a little taller. It would be of the same material, black granite, so that it blends in with our current veterans memorial here on the courthouse grounds. On each of the three sides of the memorial would be the biography and the photo of all three of the Medal of Honor recipients. On the fourth side would be a brief history of the Medal of Honor and the uh, information concerning the Battle of Vicksburg for which all three of these individuals were awarded the Medal of Honor. I think this project, uh, the estimated cost, sorry, uh, last part of it, the estimated cost for this is $80,000. The Tazewell County Board currently has $22 million in reserves. They have millions of dollars in ARPA funding that could be utilized for this. There's plenty of funding already existing that can be utilized for this without having to uh, tax the taxpayers any further. So this is not an initiative that would cost taxpayers additional uh, tax revenue. Uh, there's already revenue set aside for this type of effort to take place. So we don't believe that the uh, taxpayers of Tazewell County will see any impact by this memorial being constructed here. This will be a way for us to show the heroic actions of individuals that once walked the streets here in Pekin. This memorial behind me was placed here because this is the location in which individuals signing up to enlist in the Civil War would have stopped at the courthouse to enlist right here on these very grounds. So all three of these individuals stood right where we stand today when they enlisted, not knowing that they would end up at the Bloody Battle of Vicksburg. I do think it's interesting when you review the history of all three of these Medal of Honor recipients, you will see the memorial behind me has more names from the Civil War than any other conflict. So more individuals from Tazewell County died in the Civil War than in any other conflict, including World War II. That shows you just how bloody and how uh, uh, ghastly the Civil War was. Um, yet all three of these individuals took up efforts to help build back society, to help heal society following the Civil War. One became a doctor, graduating from Rush Medical College. Another became a holistic doctor. Um, and the third one opened the largest orphanage in Pennsylvania following his time in the Civil War. So all three of them, when they saw the worst of civilization during the war, came back and spent the rest of their lives repairing society, fixing society, healing society. And I think that's a message that really our citizens of Tazewell County can learn from, that we should cherish and that we should honor. And that's what we hope to accomplish with this new memorial project. I'm very grateful for Steve Saul and for the directors of the Veterans Post and veterans uh, members behind me that are 
supporting this effort and passing these petitions. Again, any citizen can pass the petition. They'll be available in Steve Saul's office and in my office for individuals to pick up. We ask that the individuals return those petitions to our office by November the 20th so that we can put them together and turn them into my office formally uh, by the deadline for getting this measure onto the ballot. I do thank Steve Saul for uh, his efforts, uh, not only on this project, but for all of his efforts in helping the veterans of Tazewell County and making sure that items like this helping uh, show our appreciation, showing our respect and our honor to our veterans. Uh, Steve has always uh, provided those opportunities and, and we're extraordinarily grateful for him. Steve, you wanna say a few words? One thing I like to say, John Prio echoed what we were doing here, but you know, I like to challenge the 22 service clubs we do have in Tazewell County and also the fraternal organizations we have in Tazewell County to come to our offices, get these petitions, show the support to the veterans of Tazewell County that we want to get this thing built immediately. It's, it's long overdue, so please give us a hand. Let's get this situation object done. So to the veterans out there, to my veterans back of me, thank you for your service. Thanks, John. The board could have just funded it on their own. Um, it is something that's been proposed in the past, and it just never seems to have picked up the momentum on the county board to move forward. Um, it, the state statute is very uh, specific. It's uh, allowing for something like this to be done. It's very unusual, too. The threshold in Tazewell County to get a ballot question on the ballot is normally 4,000 signatures. Um, for this particular one, because it involves veterans, the statute specifically says 200 votes is all that's required. So it does show you that um, it, this is allowing the citizens to have input and to be able to voice their opinion that, yes, a, a memorial to our veterans, especially these three veterans, needs to be constructed here in Tazewell County. I think we've had other things that we've discussed and other things that have uh, taken attention away. I know there's discussions about new buildings down here in Pekin, new facilities. Uh, there just seems to be a lot of attention focused in other areas. Um, that, you know, There is $22 million in ARPA funding that is still available that the county has not decided what they want to use it for. Um, but there's also that amount in reserves that could be utilized too. So I think it, there's just a lot, of, a lot of different priorities, a lot of different areas. Um, my priority is wanting to put something to memorialize our veterans. I think that's what Steve has said is his priority as well. Um, and I, So we're taking this ballot initiative to bring that effort to the forefront. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us again next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in Central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in Central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at WMBDRadio.com. Or just download the Week in Review podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD Radio News.